Merkel Media. You think that I'm running in place? Y'all really testing my patience. Right before I blow up the spot, I had to get back to the basics. What if my talent is wasted? You see what I'm lacking to place me? Since I rap in the basement But my come up is legend, is greatness I don't care now, it's pedal to the metal I can never quit now, I will never settle Puppet to the game, I'm pulling strings like to pedal We in the same game, but I'm on a different level I passed it, gotta keep grinding till I'm laid up in the casket No fake round, me, you feeling too plastic Yeah, y'all feeling too plastic They say my style crazy, but then it's straight jacket Whoa. Why you still testing my patience? Trying to turn me into something I ain't trying to be All the haters in heavy rotation You gon' lose yourself, quit testing me Don't make me lose my mind Don't make me lose my mind Don't make me lose my mind Cause I'm looking like Wesley, test me Don't make me lose my mind Don't make me lose my mind Running back nation, what is good? It is your boy DJ Eastwood, running back Philly. No frauds, no fanboys, no intros. You know the drill. Hit the like button on the stream. That is the only way you can get YouTube to respect you. It's not about the content. It's about how many times people hit the like button. Um, <laughs> We got Romp. Sixers talk with Romp in the building. By the way, everything is also on podcast platforms now professionally mastered beautiful crystal clear sound i sound so professional it's unreal because i'm so far from professional uh my guy tony merkel merkel media so please check me out on the podcast and be sure to go over to apple Podcasts, uh search run it back philly and leave a five-star review if you leave a four-star review over there i will find you there's no reason for me to not have five stars anyway what's up rob how's you how you been man it's been a minute since we uh since we talked about some things, a lot of things for us to talk about, I think, too. Um, I'm just chilling here on my iPhone in space as we are having technical difficulties. But can you hear me? Is it is it good? Sounds good. So- sounds good. Man. Sounds good enough. Sounds 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 better than better than uh, I mean, sounds better than I think a phone would sound. So it sounds pretty good. All right. So, yeah. And Rump just fell and disappeared. <laughs> Alarm went off. Unreal. <laughs> you got to hit do not disturb on the phone. I tried that and then I freaking went off the Zoom. This is... Anyway, Sixers, Sixers, I feel like this team, we win in spurts from our stars. You know what I'm saying? Like, Joel Embiid will go off and will win. Tyrese Maxey will go off and will win. Uh, James Harden will go off and will win. But it, I feel like it's not consistent that we win as a t- team. Do you feel that? Yes, I think. I don't know. I, I guess I have to think about like other teams, and I guess you have to think about teams that have had like three star level players. I guess a big three. Um, I guess there's teams like that where you know one night it's one guy's night, one night it's another guy's night. I think as long as as long as players are unselfish and everybody can recognize kind of whose night it is, and nobody cares really. Uh, if that guy scores 30 that night or if you score 30, um, I mean, really, if, if they can be consistent, I guess if they can be consistent with the inconsistency, 
uh, you know, it's, it's not a totally terrible thing. And we're going to get into that. One of the main topics is, you know, Joel Embiid's minutes. And, you know, when he dropped a 59-point, basically 59-point triple-double, 59, 11, 8, 7 blocks. He was three blocks and, and two assists away from a 59-point quadruple-double. Uh, I You know, I loved it. I thought it was an amazing performance. But in the back of my mind, I was like, this is obviously not something that he can do every night. And you barely beat the Utah Jazz by him doing that. So you're like, you know, did you... <laughs> Like it was a fun performance, but did we really feel good about it? I know the Jazz started out hot this season. It's a good team, a lot of talent, better than they were supposed to be, uh, and they share the ball well, and they've been playing great team defense. Um, that's the number one three point shooting in the team in the three point shooting team in the league right now, too. But yeah, I kind of agree with you. There's definitely some things that I'm uneasy about uh, with this Sixers team. Um, but the first thing I wanted to start with is. I saw a couple of days ago. I didn't get to comment on this yet, but I saw a couple of days ago. A lot of people sent me this tweet. I don't know who Sean Devaney is, but it was just a tweet from the NBA Central out of nowhere that was like the Philadelphia 76ers have their sights set on Kevin Durant. And I was like, I mean, I have my sights set on the lottery. I've had my sights set on, you know, Megan the Stallion before. Actually, like 10 years ago, it was Nicki Minaj for me personally. I'm just letting you know, I had my sights set on Nicki Minaj. That didn't happen. You know, you could set your sights on something. Does that, like, I, that's how I feel about tweets like this. Um, but, you know, like, they have their sights set on Kevin Durant. I mean, what does that mean? Does that mean we're calling the Nets? Like, hey, we'll offer you this, this, and this. Um, so I read the article. I read a couple of articles, and one of them was basically like the, you know, the Brooklyn Nets have not budged on an offer. And so there's no traction whatsoever. So then they're basically admitting that, you know, that you just tweeted it for for retweets, really, and attention and follows. Um, I can't find other any other reason. Uh, what do you think? Do you, like I'm I'm basically saying I, I it's it's impossible to me for the Sixers to ever get Kevin Durant in in, in the next year or two. Uh, what's your take on it? Yeah, I would say number one. I don't see. I mean, I think Katie is going to be traded by the deadline, just on, on how the Nets season's going. But I don't see the Nets trading him to a Eastern Conference opponent, and I don't see them making another deal with us, considering how the last deal went went with Ben Simmons and James <laughs> Harden. Um, but the only way it's possible is if they really, really value Tyrese Maxey over everyone else who's you know the other teams are willing to give up like i can see the suns offering mikhail bridges deandre aiden and all their picks the sixers don't have all their picks so we they would have to value tyrese maxi more than deandre aiden and a bunch of players and then plus picks is basically what i'm saying um plus i don't really want to vote for Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Joel Embiid, and Doc Rivers. First off, let me just say, let me repeat, James Harden, Kevin Durant, Doc Rivers, Joel Embiid. That, <laughs> I, I'm sorry, but that just got a lot of loser energy based on playoff res- resume. And it just feels like it's going to fall flat on their face because what super teams have worked? The Heat, because they have a culture. The Warriors, because they have a culture. If Kevin Durant came here, it would just basically be, uh, Kevin Durant, it's your turn. James Harden, it's your turn. Joel Embiid, it's your turn. Basically the same problem we already have. So 
I just feel like it's going to fail. So I'm not getting my hopes up and I don't really want it to happen either because I, I love Mac. I think the best super team that I've ever seen personally, uh, or I guess the most enjoyable, or I guess the super team that looked like it was natural, uh, was actually the 2008 Boston Celtics. I think that was, I think that was aside from like Julia serving and, and Mo, Mo cheeks and, and, uh, uh, what's a big dude in the seventies? Anyway, there were super teams back in the day, but the Boston Celtics super team was, you know, Ray Allen, Kevin Garnett, Ray John Rondo, and Paul Pierce, and they all four played different positions, and they all four fit together perfectly and uh, and complemented each other perfectly. And there wasn't like one guy that was kind of leading the charge. It was well distributed ball with one of the best distributing point guards in the game at the time. Uh, yeah. Then the LeBron team was like, okay, LeBron in his prime, he joins Wade. Uh, they didn't win as many as they should have either. You know, he said they were going to win five, so he's forever a liar for that. Uh, the Warriors, yeah, you get two of the best three point shooters of all time, maybe the best two three point shooters of all time on the same team. Uh, you can just kind of put players around them, and they're going to win. Uh, they put the right players around them every single time, and the 2016 team had a bench so deep that the bench probably could have, you know, been a fifth seed by themselves uh but yeah i i wouldn't like that either um I, i'm getting uneasy about the whole direction of this team because you know and you said it this offseason the age of these players and what daryl Morey's doing with win now you know but really he he's kind of gone after a couple players that he feels like just played well with james harden five years ago and so let's go get those guys um so, you know, adding Kevin Durant, does that get us a ring? If everybody stays healthy, it does. Uh, I think it definitely does if you're not giving up James Harden. James, obviously, is, has no issue being a facilitator, taking a backseat. He took a backseat to Durant. The games that he got to play with him in Brooklyn, which was like seven games in two years. But I think it would work perfectly if you got Durant. Um, would I personally enjoy it? No, I wouldn't. And I wouldn't enjoy it because I, I feel like I don't know. Philly's a blue collar town. I grew up watching Philly sports. We were always underdogs. We were always grinded out and build a team the right way. And not that the Sixers ever won in my lifetime, but I watched the Phillies do it the right way. I watched the Eagles do it the right way. I would feel cheap about it. I just would. And people don't like when I say that. I would feel cheap about it. I would feel cheap turning on my TV and watching Kevin Durant in a Sixers uniform. I would feel cheap about it. And I, I know a lot of people I think that aren't as emotionally tied to the team would be like, yeah, but we got a ring, so shut up. You're dumb. And I get that. You can have your perspective, but I wouldn't be a fan of it in general, but I don't think it's possible anyway. Yeah, I don't I don't think it's possible, and I wouldn't be a fan of it. Um, plus, I don't know. I just don't see it. Don't, I don't see anything working with Doc Rivers. <laughs> if, I'm, <laughs> if I'm being real, um, just because we got all these people that were supposed to be upgrades and now all of a sudden they're washed, they're this, they're that. And then when James Harden goes out, Doc Rivers is like, yo, let's make Tyrese Maxey play like James Harden. Let's have him dominate the ball, dribble, 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 and not expect him to play as well. Like there's no adapting to the strengths of what players he has. There's, there's nothing. It's just, Joel Embiid, save us. James Harden, play your way. Whatever you want to do, do it. And Tyrese Maxey, you'll get the crumbs. Even though Tyrese Maxey, when Joel Embiid and James Harden are on the court, when we're playing the Bucks, he has the third worst defender on him. 
So how about we run the offense through him instead of being a predictable offense of just James Harden and Joel Embiid ball. So no matter what, the bottom line is, as we were saying, like in the offseason streams, if you go back and watch, Doc Rivers is a huge problem. Yeah, I'm, I'm not even scared to say anymore. You're not winning anything with Doc Rivers. And I think the, the fan base knows this. Uh, I don't. I still get people in my comments every day that argue it, and I'm I'm convinced it's Doc and his kids and his wife and making all kinds of fake accounts. There's just no way there's this many people defending the coach. But uh, yeah, I I say that with with no shame anymore. That I just I don't see it working. I, I saw it. I saw it the first year. I saw it last season. Um, and he's already showed us in a couple of games <laughs> the same things we saw, which is stubbornness, refusing to adjust, and things like that. And you know, uh, even in the game against the Jazz, when Joel dropped 59, 11, 8, and 7 on 60% true shooting percentage and something else historic, in a two-minute gap in the fourth quarter, after Montrez Harrell had a great first half, Doc Rivers played P.J. Tucker and George Niang at the 4 and the 5 again. They got absolutely smoked in about a minute and 30 seconds, and he had to bring Joel back in the game, who already had 52 points, I think. And it was like, bro, if if you if the guy can't play 48 minutes a game, and if you absolutely need him to play 48 minutes a game to ever stand a chance against any decent team, you're you're cooked. That's not good. Uh, I just I don't understand. Uh, that's the main thing I don't understand so far is the PJ Tucker at the five situation. I understand he's a hard worker. I understand he's almost Doc Rivers' age, so he, he feels like he relates to him. <laughs> but he's not a center. It's, please stop doing it. We've now seen uh, Porzingis shoot over lawn chairs with, with PJ well, I, at the five. We saw like it, it's crazy, but yeah, yeah, that's that's what he does. I guess you know, you know, we're always going to rant about Doc Rivers when when we talk Sixers. But I think that's the main thing for me is that PJ Tucker at the five, even after. Montrez had a good first half, and there's been games already where Paul Reed had a good first half, and you didn't see him in the second half. You saw PJ at the five. I don't know what it is with Doc and just being scared to play guys in crunch in crunch time. He's like, "Oh, I just can't do. It. I know you had a first half, but I just can't do it. Got to go with PJ." Yeah, I mean, my main problem with Doc early in the season was he was playing our starters way too many minutes. Like we got all this depth. And I see James Harden logging 40 minutes after coming off an injury. And I even tweeted, I was like, yes, James Harden's going to get hurt. PJ Tucker's probably going to die midseason because <laughs> 48 minutes a night, it's insane. Joel Embiid, we haven't even got to the injury portion of Joel Embiid's season. I mean, that's bound to happen. It always does. I, I love Joel, but I mean, he's bound to get injured with how hard we're working him and his usage rating. And same with Tyrese Maxey. I mean, I feel like the past couple of games, when he's been in this slump, he is leading the league in minutes. And you can tell there's some points where he's like, dude, I can't handle the ball. I'm, I'm gassed out of my mind because I've been playing 50 minutes a night for the whole, whole course of the season. So come playoffs time, I mean, we're going to be gassed out of our mind because you see the Bucks. Giannis has low-key been resting every other night. He has a quote-unquote injury, but I don't think it's that serious. They're just resting him. Drew Holiday's not playing every other night. Jimmy Butler didn't even play last year. He played like 50 <laughs> games. Right, like No one cares about the regular season, but the fact is we... And I, I think Joel didn't care at, at the beginning, obviously, with his play. Also, he was out of shape. But mm -hmm. now, he, now he has to care 
and he has to play like an MVP and he has to play like every game's the NBA finals because our team is, I guess, lack of depth, poor coaching. I don't know what's going on. I don't know anymore. We were supposed uh, to have depth. This was supposed to be the year we finally have depth. So, you know, that's why I'm really on the Doc Rivers thing uh, this season because when somebody, you know, signs a bunch of guys in the offseason, it's like, okay, finally we have depth. And you still look like you don't have depth. At, at, at eventually, it's just the guy that's in charge of the players more so than the roster construction. And I know you haven't been the biggest Daryl Morey fan. Uh, and you're probably not a fan of the roster construction. Um, but yeah, I, you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. This this game against the Bucks on Friday is a a big a big uh, telling point of you know we're gonna see against the Bucks what this team's really made of. Yeah, you can you can drop a fifty nine point triple double against the Jazz. The Jazz have a good record so far, but it's uh, let's be serious. Is there a superstar on that team? No. Uh, this this game against the Bucks is gonna tell us a lot. Um, but I'll go back to the Kevin Durant thing real quick because. People are saying, no, I wouldn't give up Tyrese Maxey. And again, I don't want to see Kevin Durant in a Sixers jersey. I just don't want to see it. I have a disdain for the guy. It is what it is. Uh, but like, w- would that even move the needle? Like, w- You know what I mean? If you're the Nets and you're sitting here saying, all right, this guy already requested a trade in the offseason. We told him, no, here we go again. And, you, and the Sixers call you up and say, hey, we'll give you Tyrese Maxey, Matisse Thibel, and whatever first-round picks we can find in our couch cushions, which... Like, what ones do we even have? We have like a 2023, I think, and or we don't even have our 2023. We have a 2024. I don't even know. You, you only can trade our 2029 first round pick, supposedly. <laughs> hey, we'll give you Tyrese Max in a 2029 first round pick. <laughs> yeah, that is because Joel will probably be gone by then. I mean, that's seven years. It's a long way away. There might be a Victor Wapanabe 5.0 by then. There's going to be eight footers in the league at that time. Right. So there's clear teams that if you're the Nets and you really want to blow it up, which, I mean, they did that years ago. They built a nice, solid core, and then they traded that entire core uh, for James Harden. <laughs> and that turned out the way it turned out. Uh, but yeah, if if you're the Brooklyn Nets and you really want to blow it up again, you're going to get a plethora of draft picks from somebody. OKC, Phoenix, uh, who else? Utah. Maybe Utah just turns around and flips the Rudy Gobert trade and says, hey, we got a bunch of first round picks. Yeah, keep in mind the Minnesota Timberwolves completely messed up the whole market. So now they're going to be demanding like 10 first round picks for Kevin Durant or how many are possible to trade. Yeah, the only thing working in other teams' favor is his age right now because, you know, obviously he's still great. Last year he had a sprained knee. It was out for eight weeks, but that wasn't a major injury. Hasn't had a major injury since the torn Achilles. Um, But yeah, it's still like one of those things where when when a player's 34, you're like, all right, I know he's going to fall off soon, right? Soon. Like LeBron James looked like he was never going to slow down, and then all of a sudden, two years in a row, it's like, oh, look, he's human. He's... He's slowing down a little bit. So, yeah, you're trading for a guy that you know isn't going to be at that level for five more years, definitely. I think that's the yeah. only like like strength or, or thing that's in favor of the team that's trying to trade for him is his age. Can we go back to the Daryl Morey um, slander? Absolutely. That, so, my thing is with this roster is like, yeah, we got depth, but like it doesn't necessarily fit. So, DeAnthony Melton... He's been playing great, but he's also small. So when you play him with Maxi, 
it's weird defensively because they're both small and it just sometimes you're going to get burnt defensively because you have two small players on the court. And then you got PJ Tucker and Tobias who don't fit at all. I still don't get why Tobias is here. I mean, he's just a waste of space. We're asking him to basically be Daniel house hustle and be feisty defensively. And we're paying him $40 million or whatever it is. Why is he still here? I don't know why. Well, how can you um, trade him? How can you trade him? Would you give up anything for Tobias Harris? I mean, I, I mean, to, for Tobias Harris, yes. But would you give up anything? Would you give up anything for to pay Tobias Harris thirty five million dollars a year? I would. I would cut him anything. I would take anything. I would take Russell Westbrook and then cut Russell Westbrook. <laughs> we, I'm telling you, we are better without Tobias. You can't cut, you, the Lakers can't cut Russell Westbrook. There's a money thing involved. An owner's gonna say, has to answer the phone, and he's gonna say, "You're you're asking me to take a forty seven million dollar hit." Yeah, that ain't happening. Yes, I am, but. My problem with Tobias, he's got loser energy too. I'm sick of him complaining to the refs when he gets blocked and he's not even fouled. <laughs> when he goes up soft and just gets the ball smacked and he looks at the ref and cries, yeah, I feel you. But I, every NBA player does that. I'm sick of him not getting any rebounds at all. Horrible. In that um, Jazz game, he was terrible on the glass. And it was the same story against the Hawks a couple of years ago, but everyone's so talking about last year, how he was good in the playoffs. He was good for one series and then the heat series, he was trash. But um, yeah, I'm just sick of Tobias Harris overall. I think he's, he's just not tough. He's, he's soft um, as a player and it's infectious mm-hmm. and you can eat at times too. So I don't want to just rag on Tobias for that. Yeah. I think last year in the playoffs and this year so far, at least, Tobias looks stronger on defense. He looks like, you know, he's he's been a lot better defensively than I remember him being before the past two seasons. But yeah, offensively, it's just, it's like how he's wired. He drives to the rim, and I've said this before, but it feels like he has to remind himself to go hard. You know, it's not instinctual. He has to remind himself. And when he does that, oh, look, Tobias Harris dunked on somebody, and you're like, wow, where did that come from? But naturally, he shies away from contact and does like a little weird, you know, I mean, he's he's really has kind of a Ben Simmons mindset where uh, going to the rim, like avoids contact and does little floating high off the glass layups. And he's six foot eight. Uh, but yeah, it's just, that's uh, just how he's wired. Uh, we made the mistake of giving him a max contract in a weird time. We were in when Jimmy Butler said, you guys want to keep this coach that nobody's heard of. That's fine. I'll, I'll leave. Um, you know, Joel Embiid and Jimmy Butler, that's something you build around. And we, we lost that. We tried to hold on to Tobias Harris out of desperation. That turned out to be a disaster contract-wise because everybody in the world knows he's not worth that money. Uh, but yeah, you know, last year I was like over the Tobias Harris thing. Like he is what he is. He's a fourth option here. We're paying him this. We're, it, it, there's nothing we can do about it. But yeah, now you add PJ Tucker, you're like you're adding a, a, a you're adding a stretch forward, and that's what you want Tobias Harris to be. So yeah, legitimately, you're now playing. Two power forwards on the floor at the same time. Uh, and it, it's, yeah, it's, I think the, I think we need a starting lineup change. And yes. that, that happened with, with Harden being out. Uh, Matisse Thibel went from zero minutes to 30 minutes a game, which again, people are like, you, you say Doc Rivers never adjusts. And Doc Rivers family with the fake accounts in my comments, you say Doc Rivers never adjusts. But then when he does adjust, you're mad at him for that. And I'm like, 
He's not even slight. He's not slightly adjusting. He's not doing what I want him to do, which is bring Matisse off the bench, play him the 15 minutes that you should play him in the right situations against the right matchups and see what you get. You don't go from zero minutes to 30 minutes a night. And my problem with it is that that's such an inconsistent change that I don't think it's going to continue because if he can go from zero to 30, he can go from 30 to zero. So I'm, re- I'm, I'm ready for it to all like switch back because it's going to happen. You know, you've seen it. In, in, the, in the middle of games, somebody has a good first half and they don't get on the floor in the second half, so I wouldn't be shocked if the Matisse-Thibel thing doesn't go back to what it was. We'll see when James Harden comes back what Doc does with the lineups, but you know, it, it, I just feel like when James went out, he was like, shit, I don't have a plan, and he just started throwing anything out there, any combination out there to see if it worked. It, it, I love Matisse-Thibel being on the floor because he shakes things up for the other team, you know, makes, their, makes, makes things difficult. We've been so bad at defending the perimeter to start the season, but yeah, uh, we need a lineup change. What do you think? Yeah, I feel like we're still at the same issue, same issue we had in years past, where if you have PJ Tucker and um, Tobias Harris, and then even Matisse Thibault on the court, why would the defense even guard them? Why? Why? Like that's what I didn't understand by the Jazz. I was like, why are you guarding PJ Tucker? <laughs> like, what is he? What is he without James Harden offensively besides a screener? But the Sixers rarely use it. Every like twenty five possessions, they'll use him as a screener. But it's like if I if I'm a playoff team, I'm looking at the Sixers and I'm like, all I got to do is make the other guy shoot, and most likely we'll probably be good. And that's been the same issue for like the past couple of years now. So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, PJ shoots 45% from, from corner three, but, uh, yeah, but like to a game. Yeah. And you brought that up in the off season and, and, uh, then the season starts and yeah, I'm seeing it like, yeah, he shoots like one a game. Um, so it's, it's not enough of a threat really. And, uh, <laughs> That's just, man, we were like, you know, you and some other people were like, please don't pay it. Please don't overpay for 37-year-old P.J. Tucker, and we we did it. I wanted P.J. That was one of my bad takes. I wanted like, him, too. I, I didn't, you know, I was like, $30 million for three years, whatever, give it to him. We need him. Uh, but, again, this can all come back down to the coach. When players come yeah. here and all of a sudden their production is not what it was, after a couple of years of this happening... Okay, we tried this player. Okay, we tried this player. Okay, we tried this player. And every time they come into this system, their performance is half of what it was in the system they came from. Then, yeah, it's obvious it's the system. My main problem with the Sixers is like they just have no clue what to attack defensively. Like, take the Hawks game, for example. You got um, Trey Young hiding on Matisse Thibel. And one play, they used Matisse Thibault as a screener, and Tobias got a wide-open layup because Trey Young is a, a traffic cone defensively. And there was another play where Thibault screened for Embiid, and Embiid got a wide-open shot. Why aren't you doing? Why aren't you attacking Trey Young every single possession? Right. Keep their offense. Make him work. If they're going to put the worst defender on Matisse Thibault, use him as a screener. So, mm-hmm. so he's they have to switch or they have to communicate and the Sixers, they could have scored 120 points. I forget what they scored, but they could have destroyed the Hawks that night because they didn't have it offensively, but they weren't consistently attacking um, Trey young. And I was like, why, why it, it worked when we did it, but the Sixers, they just do it 
accidentally. They don't actually, you know, oh, okay, we're going to attack Trey Young now. It's not like teams. It just seems like the identity of the offense is it's usual and make him do everything. Tyrese Maxey as well. Right now without Harden, Tyrese, get a screen. You do everything. You're the you got to turn into a god tier playmaker now that James Harden's out. <laughs> we need eight assists a night from our center and Tyrese Maxey. Like Tyrese Maxey is so effective off ball, so you're going to mm-hmm. take half of his game away because James Harden's out. Get Shake Milton in, get Furkin, whoever, so they can handle and Maxey can run around screens and attract attention, <clears throat> and then on beat. This is terrible coaching. Terrible. Yeah, I don't want. Yeah. Yeah, just I'm so my bad. Every I you, the, with the phone every time my audio goes in, it cuts your audio out. My bad. I gotta remember to to let you finish. Um, yeah, just just what just watching over film. Uh, you know, even in the Jazz game, the the first quarter, there's is there seems to be so much action in the first quarter, and then it doesn't happen again the rest of the game. Like there was a play in the first quarter. Uh, you know, Thibel sets a screen for Tobias. This is just off the top of my head. Tobias comes up. Gets the ball, gives it to Joel at the top, and Thibel like slid in the middle, and uh, Jordan Clarkson lost him, and him beat hit Thibel under the rim. It's like there was like two screens and a and a dribble handoff, and like all this stuff happening, and then the second half of the game, it'll just be everybody standing around ISO ball. Like where is all the creativity and play calling from the first half in the second half? I don't understand it. It's like they have a game plan, and they go out and do it in the first quarter, and then there's. <laughs> That's it. All right, guys, we did it in the first quarter. Now the rest of the game, just figure it out. So yeah, I don't get it. But you know, people, players have said it about Doc before that you know they don't practice or you know they don't run sets. They they he uses players wrong. It is what it is. We could we could beat a dead horse for the rest of the season. But um, yeah. But I want to ask you a question. Back to the Kevin Durant thing. Um, is it Ben Simmons' fault? That Kevin Durant wants out because we're we're ranting about Doc Rivers, so we got to bring some 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 feel good to this show now. And the only feel good I get out of basketball lately is still uh, just basking in the glory of how right I was about Ben Simmons. And actually, I didn't even see this coming. I hated the way that he played basketball when he was averaging sixteen points a game. I didn't see I didn't see this like drop off actually happening. Uh, and it's it's kind of sad to me now. And I, I just posted a clip on Twitter today of his 34-point game against the Cavs, and he shot two threes, and he looked like a budding NBA superstar. And I was like, that's it's just so crazy that he had all that potential, and it's gone. But so Kevin Durant was quoted saying, look at our starting line. And I've never heard a, a player call out a team like this in the middle of a season. He said, look at our starting lineup. Edmund Sumner, Royce O'Neal, Joe Harris, Nick Claxton and me. It's not disrespect, but what are you expecting from that group? You expect us to win because I'm out there. So he's clearly like, I got nobody. Kyrie's suspended (laughs) and refusing to apologize. Uh, James Harden had one conversation with Kyrie Irving and requested a trade. And we got Ben Simmons in return, who is so bad right now, we can't even start him. And he's you got a hundred eighty million dollar player coming off the bench giving you two points and six fouls. So, whose fault is it 
that Kevin Durant is is basically asking for a trade 10 games into the season or 15 games into the season? Um, I would have to blame whoever traded for Ben Simmons. Like, if you trade for Ben Simmons, you should just be fired. <laughs> a list that should never get a job again. Because if you just do simple research by, you know, putting in Sixers YouTube, you'll figure out what's wrong with Ben Simmons. And then you'll realize, oh, yeah, he's a mental case. It's not worth it. I would understand like a team like the Spurs taking a chance on him or like the Jazz who are trying to rebuild. But like a team with Kevin Durant and Kyrie, why would you just want to add more to the the pot? It It was just a dumb trade from the beginning. The picks might turn out to be really good for them. That's the only thing saving their trade in my eyes. And if James Harden, you know, continues to end up getting hurt, then it won't look as bad as well. But as of now, it looks terrible. Yeah, it it's crazy. Um, you know, they could have they could have gotten something else for James Harden, right? Like, how is that what you got in return? And Austin Krell tweeted today, somebody sent it to me, and he said, Ben Simmons refusing to play last year is the best thing that could have happened to the Sixers because we thought, yo, this guy has to get on the court so we can raise his trade value and then trade him. But it turns out, if he got on the court, his trade value would have plummeted even worse than it already was because he's so bad right now. So him sitting out and refusing to ever play for us again was great for us because even though his trade value was low, it didn't go any lower, and we were able to trade him for James Harden. And the Nets are now seeing a a much worse version of Ben Simmons. And it's just crazy. So, yeah, I mean, the best thing that happened for us in that whole debacle is that he didn't play for us because he was bad. Uh, He just looks... So here's a tweet. Bleacher Report. uh, There is frustration building within the Nets around Ben Simmons' availability and level of play. That's funny, availability, because... We were saying the same thing. This guy tries to find ways to not play basketball. And then, you know, Durant just came back from from a he sprained knee last year. He missed eight missed eight weeks with a sprained meniscus or something like that. He came back and he played the rest of the season. Ben sits out an entire season, was supposed to play in the playoffs last year, woke up and told him he had a sore back. The the day they expected him to debut for them in the playoffs, he told him he had a sore back. Then he starts the season this year, plays terrible, and four games into the season, he's out with a sore knee. So, yeah, availability, that's crazy because this guy's not been an injured player. Like, he's not an injury-prone player at all. So he just makes things up to not play. Uh, And level of play, of course, yeah, uh, it's been terrible, but it says uh, the Nets are growing frustrated with him. And... Some in the organization are questioning his passion for the game. And that goes back to what you just said about, you know, if you just went on YouTube and searched Sixers Ben Simmons, you could have found out that you don't want him on your team. But that's not just the Nets that fell for that. That's the Sixers, too. His draft profile explained it perfectly. Uh, You know, at LSU... He had no drive. He didn't. He, he, yeah, okay. He averaged, you know, a 30 point triple double, 
but that's just because he would have games where he scored 49, 17, and 18 because he was playing against a bunch of 5'11 college kids. Uh, and then again, in the big games, he wouldn't show up at all. Uh, they didn't make the NCAA tournament, and he refused to play in the NIT tournament. Um, they said the same thing. There, there's players in Australia that played with him before he ever came to America that are quoted as saying, like, you know, this guy just doesn't, he, first of all, he doesn't get along with the players. He's kind of has his own thing. He's not a very likable guy. Uh, always kind of acted like a celebrity, I think. And it's always been there, you know? It sucks that he has this makeup. If he was 6'5", it would have been like, okay, this dude could be a, a good point guard, but we're not going to take a chance because of this, this, and this. But him being 6'10", 240, and could run a, a 4.240 probably, it was like you had to kind of ignore all of the red flags and say this could be the next, this could be a 6'11 LeBron James. So we fell for it. Yeah, everybody fell for it. Yeah, and we also fell for Al Horford. <laughs> we fell for a lot of things. I think, that, I think that goes back to coaching again. Al Horford was great for the Celtics. We sign him. It's terrible. He goes back to the Celtics and he's Al Horford again. Yeah, with the center next to him as well. That's the thing. He plays next to Robert Williams. Um, but yeah, back to Ben Simmons. I think the funniest thing out of this is there's like an excuse. So he, he, he's been injured, even though he hasn't been injured or people say, Oh, he hasn't played in two years. The person who took his spot in the starting lineup, Edmund Sumner, first off, tore his ACL, tore his ACL two years ago, missed all last season. I thought he was going to be out of the NBA based on how it was looking for him. And he took Ben Simmons' spot, and he's playing well um, for a guy who hasn't really been that productive or gotten a chance like this. So that excuse, oh, he hasn't played. Well, first off, what, 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 what was he doing for a year and a half sitting at home? Because he came to practice, so he was obviously healthy at that time. It's like he probably didn't even pick up a basketball besides like going to the gym and shooting like, for five minutes and then he's like, ah, yeah, shooting. we're good. Did you say shooting? Shoot, well, yeah, not shooting. <laughs> he, he has gold guns on Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 already, I guarantee you. Guarantee <laughs> he's got gold guns everywhere, man. Prestige times five. Uh, but yeah, it's it's fun that the Nets are, are dealing with it. I just like, it's sad to me. I can't believe he fell off this hard. And And watching that old those old highlights of him, it was, uh, he's so out of shape right now. He's a lot heavier than he was, you know, when he was uh rookie second year, third year here, he was a lot slimmer, a lot quicker. He just looks like a big lug. That's just, I don't know, man. Like he, for him to get back to what he at least was as a rookie for the Sixers, he would have to have a lot of drive and motivation because he needs to lose about 20 pounds. He needs to do a lot of things. And I don't see that. I don't see that drive from him. So I think the Nets are screwed and clearly we won the trade. Even if James Harden is now at an age where he's seemingly injury prone, we don't know, uh, you know, pulled hamstring with the Nets. Then we get him when he didn't have a full off season to work out. So he burned out with us in the playoffs. The first year he was here, then he takes a whole off season and works out. He looks slimmer. He looks like he's in the best shape since he was in Houston. And then he, uh, sprains his foot. So I don't know what. What do you think about that? Is James getting to an age where, like, 
not to be ultra doom and gloom, but we might have got him a little bit past his prime, and now we're going to get screwed, and he's injury prone. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was the we won the trade, but it was the wrong trade. Like we should have traded Simmons for a surplus of things like Halliburton or Jonte Murray or whatever, and a bunch of players and maybe a pick. But instead, we gave up. We didn't give up anything besides the only thing I care about we, us giving up is picks. Um, and yeah, I think James Harden is on the downhill. And also, I just don't think his style is going to win you a championship, especially at his age. And when he was in his prime, that style didn't win a championship. That style has a limit. You, you're going to see the same thing with Luka. Yeah, you can probably get to the Western Conference Finals, but when you're the only guy who hands the ball and then you get rid of the ball and you do nothing, the defense doesn't have to worry about you when you don't have the ball. Plus, you're just relying on four shooters who are 37%, like P.J. Tucker, Daniel House, whatever. So they're just going to live with those guys either catching fire or missing, like the Mavericks last year that caught fire against the Suns, but against a better defensive team in the Warriors. That, that whole system, well, heliocentric it's trash. I think Tyrese Maxey has to be a large part of James Harden winning a championship here like because back in Houston, when he was dominating, all they had to do was start double-teaming him at half court, make him give up the ball, and you know then the, the Rockets, who they have? Again, Daniel House, P.J. Tucker, uh, Clint Capella, before they traded him to, to play Robert Covington at center. Uh, which is another reason we don't want Mike D'Antoni anywhere close to here. I don't. Um, but yeah, I think with Embiid, that takes some of that pressure off. And if Maxi's, if Maxi, and I don't think Maxi's there yet, he's definitely showing signs that he's there. But so the timelines might not match up either. Uh, which is why people call me crazy. But I said the only player I would trade Maxi for was Donovan Mitchell when he was available. And the only reason I said that is because the, the timelines match up better. Uh, Donovan Mitchell is, was 26 at the time when he was about to be traded. He was averaging almost 27 points a game. As a, you know, He was exactly what you want Tyrese Maxey to be at 26 years old. I think Tyrese Maxey will be better than Donovan Mitchell when he's 26 than Donovan Mitchell is right now. I think he's a, more of, a better three-point shooter. I think he's more efficient. I think he's a smarter player. I think Donovan Mitchell has more athleticism and finishing at the rim and things like that. Above the rim, Tyrese Maxey's great at finishing around and through traffic and things. But that's the only reason I said that is because that that kind of you know fast forwards your shooting guard position five years, and then you have uh, a player like like uh, a player like Donovan Mitchell in his prime prime, and you know he can take a lot of the scoring load off of James Harden and Joel Embiid. So you're still hoping for Tyrese Maxey to be at an All Star level for you to win a championship. Or they're just going to double James Harden across half court. They're going to double Joel when he touches it. Joel is going to have to play 40 minutes a night. And I don't know. I've just seen inconsistencies from Maxi. I guess, do you think that's Maxi being, you know, still being young? Or is that all, is that all coaching? Um, I mean, I think recently he's just missing shots. He usually, um, usually makes and also the defense has adjusted where they're guarding him he's probably on the scouting report more especially without James Harden so I think he's kind of meeting a wall per se where 
the stuff that always worked probably doesn't work as effective. So he has to adjust. And that's what Ben Simmons never did. Once teams guarded him a different way, he never changed his style. But Maxi, he's going to figure out ways to uh, get better. And I think as he ages, his mid-range is going to get better and better and better and better. And that's going to open up so much for him because we already know he can get to the rim. Um, but if he gets that mid-range down where you see flashes where he has it, but it's not at a consistent like Chris Paul, Tony Parker level. But I think eventually he'll get it down because there's going to come a point where he's probably going to struggle in the playoffs because teams are guarding him heavily and not having that consistent mid-range is going to hurt him. And it's not really fair to put all this pressure on Maxi because right now he hasn't really struggled. And right now he kind of is struggling. But I mean, at some point he has to struggle. He can't yeah. like we can't just be a God player who's going to shoot 60%. But at the same time, when James Harden and Joel Embiid are healthy and teams are doubling and things like that, he's going to be fine because he's going to have the lesser. I mean, against the Bucks, he had Grayson Allen on him and the, the Doc Rivers just put him in the corner and was like, oh, yeah, let's not run anything for him. Well, that's but, the thing. That's uh, because uh, when you even you broke down the practice that was on NBA TV and there was a conversation between Doc Rivers and him on NBA TV and Doc was saying to him, hey, you got to. You got to come up and call a play for yourself. You know, you got to. So that that tells me right there that Doc is really just letting them go out there and do whatever play pickup ball. Like he's not calling action for Tyrese. Like, hey, look, we have a mismatch right here. Let's get Tyrese the ball coming off a double screen around the corner, whatever it is, get him going downhill. He's relying on Tyrese Maxey to come up and call his own play to get himself involved. And yeah, that's that's not coaching to me. So yeah, I think I think with a coach that you know wants to put a little more creativity into the offense, you would probably see a lot more out of Tyrese Maxey, uh, a lot more consistency. He can play pickup ball. He can he can have games where he drops thirty eight. Um, but you know, with Joel, there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of things that have to fit, and it, it's going to take coaching and strategy and creativity to make it all work. And you know, well, I don't know when that's I don't know when that's going to be, but it's it's not going to be Doc Rivers. But I, I remember like two. I don't know what game it was. Maybe the second game against the Atlanta Hawks last week. Uh, there was a lot of Maxi and Bead pick and roll, pick and pop, and Maxi had twenty eight points and eight assists. And just watching it back, I saw so many like point guard esque plays from him that I that I feel like you rarely see. Um, you know, like pick and roll and the weak side defender comes over and he makes a skip pass into the corner to PJ Tucker or like really reading the court and making the right decision and drawing defenders and throwing lobs to him beating stuff. So do you think there's potential that Maxi can actually be a facilitating point guard? Because the, the day before that game, I said, it's clear that Maxi is a two guard. He's a shooting guard. He's a scorer. He's not a point guard. And then I don't know if he watches my show or not. It seems like he does sometimes because he's like, Oh yeah, watch this. And he goes out and looks like a legitimate point guard. So do you think he can grow into a legitimate, like triple double style point guard? Uh, not triple double, but probably like six a game. Uh, I think his playmaking definitely has improved this season. And like people forget um, a, a lot of Harden fans are on me because I've been saying, give the keys to Maxi. And I still will stand by that when <laughs> Harden are on the court, he should get the keys because the worst defender is on him. Um, but I digress. 
Like in the beginning of the season, our best lineups were maxi led lineups. People, people forget that. Like when we beat Toronto and he had 44 points, the reason we won that game is because when Maxi was on the court with a bunch of bench players, the lineup got like plus 10 in the first half. And then the second half, it was a plus 10. And the thing about him, when he gets to handle the rock, he tires the defense out because when he gets it, he pushes it, pushes it, pushes it. And James Harden and Joel Embiid slow him down in that aspect. And against Toronto, there was like a sequence where he got the ball and you could tell Fred Van Fleet was was gassed like the Sixers and the Raptors transition defense was starting to look like the Sixers. Plus he was making swing passes and stuff like that. Um, he was getting hockey assist and we've been doom and gloom on this podcast, but there is a lot of potential in this team. It's on the players and the coaches to figure it out. Like right now you got a bunch of things that you can go to that seem to work and get, very good shot quality. You got the Maxi and Embiid pick and roll now that has been carrying us um, without James Harden. You got Joel Embiid when he's on and he's making quick decisions like he did against the Jazz in the second half. His first half was trash, by the way, in my opinion. Anyway, second half against the Jazz, his playmaking was good. So you always have that in your bag where you can give him the rock and let him play make. And then, of course, you got James Harden offense. So you have all these things that can work but right now, what you don't have on the Sixers is a consistent team flow where they're like, oh, let's go to this now. Let's go to this. There's no like, it's not natural is what I'm trying to say. It just seems like something's off. Yeah, I got to agree with you, man. Got to figure that out. That, that's when they're going to be a legit contender because they're top five defense right now. No one's talking about their top five defense because they cleaned up the transition defense. Yeah. In the past couple of games, they cleaned up the transition defense. There are still moments where, you know, you see a football pass and Tobias is just standing at the other, like, three-point line. Uh, but, yeah, they cleaned it up. It, it, I guess maybe it's a curve. Like, it was so atrocious the first three games that the next three games or the next seven games were just like mid, uh, so that curved it a little bit. But that's actually wild that they're a top five defense right now. Um, I guess Joel Embiid having seven blocks the other night helps. Uh, he's averaging two blocks a game right now, which is crazy. His season averages are out of control right now. Uh, speaking of Joel Embiid, um, <clears throat> that's the one major question that I, that I wanted to bring up on this show and and get your perspective on uh, is Embiid. You know, playing both ends of the floor and playing this many minutes this early in the season, a red flag. And we we talked about it a little bit at the very beginning, but basically he's playing 35 minutes a game right now. He's averaging 35 minutes a game. Um, and that's those are pl- that's playoff level minutes for Joel Embiid, right? 35, 36, 37. I don't think I mean, we were thinking like, look, this guy hasn't been healthy his entire career. Uh He's. I wouldn't call him injury prone, whereas he has recurring injuries or he has this like nagging knee or whatever. It seems like he's finally healthy, and then he randomly gets elbowed in the face. Uh, he randomly tears a ligament in his thumb. He, he'll randomly sprain a knee. He'll randomly whatever. It's just so random. One time, he what did he break his face a couple years ago because Markel Fultz fell around a screen and shouldered him in the cheekbone. This guy uh, has the worst. I don't I don't believe in luck necessarily but 
I think Joel Embiid was a bad person in a past life. Uh, there's just he's just got bad energy in this lifetime. Somebody's out there like, no, this guy's not succeeding. I'm putting a stop to it, even if it's Markel Fultz's shoulder. Uh, so yeah, the injuries are just totally random. It, it's not. I, I can't call it injury prone, but I guess it is injury prone. You just don't know what it's going to be next. You know, maybe he gets walking down the street and gets like hit with a skateboard in the side of the face. You just, it's totally random. You can't tell. Uh, but yeah, with that being said, I thought, and a lot of us thought we were going to come into this season, a deeper team. And we were going to slow. We were going to slowly use Joel Embiid 25 ish, 27, closer to 30 minutes a game. We were going to slow, start out slow, ramp it up a little bit, uh, load manage maybe more than we ever have because he's burnt out when the playoffs start every season. Uh, maybe no back-to-backs, and we come out this season, the guy's playing 35 a game. In a game, in games that we win, he's, I didn't look at that, but in games that we win, he's playing 40 because we lose the lead in the fourth quarter and he has to come back in the game. It doesn't make me feel good that he that we're using him this much 15 games into the season. But his numbers are crazy. He's averaging 32.5 points per game on 54% from the field, 84% from the free throw line, 10 rebounds, 4 assists, almost a steal per game, and 2 blocks per game. I'm willing to bet nobody's averaged those numbers over the course of a season. And he won't average those numbers. I'm not saying he's going to finish the season with 32. He, You know what? Last year, I didn't think he was going to go on some of the runs that he went on, and he led the league in scoring the first time a center did it since Shaq in 2000. So I shouldn't put anything past him. He might just average 32 points a game and, and 10 rebounds and four assists and two blocks. But, yeah, doesn't make me feel good that, that we're running him this hard to start the season. Well, the problem is right now, Paul Reed is not trusted by the coach and he's unreliable because he's still a raw player. And Montrezl Harrell is either decent or one of the worst centers in the league. So that's Doc Rivers is going to his Niang and PJ Tucker lineup. And that's where um, Charles Bassey would be so nice to have because he's a guy who's going to play smart. He might pick up fouls, but he's he's not going to kill you, and he's going to play your role, and that's why I don't understand why there's a roster spot left open right now. There's a roster spot left open, and Charles Bassey is getting 14 rebounds in like 18 minutes, and we're one of the worst rebounding teams in the league, so yeah. that's yeah. the issue right now. We have yeah. some way to go back. <clears throat> Somehow, we still don't have a backup center that's reliable that- and trusted by yeah, yeah, that uh, that was that was that was the last topic I was going to bring up on this show with you. Um, so yeah, uh, listen. First of all, first of all, Paul Reed is just an energy guy. I get mad when he's clearly giving you energy and rebounds and blocks, and he's like, when you're watching the game and you see nobody guarding the rim. And then Paul Reed comes in and you're like, wow, somebody's playing defense and he gets a crazy steal, dives on the floor, makes the makes the offense struggle a little bit. 
My problem is that when he does that, you don't see him again for the rest of the game. Um, overall, yeah, Paul Reed is, is like a, a, a center. He's like, he's like Matisse Thibel in center form. He can't play the offensive side of the game whatsoever. I mean, yesterday or on Sunday, he airballed a 10-foot jump shot. Over the rim, by the way. He overshot a 10-foot jumper and airballed it. But I, I love his energy, and it's just, it's just one of those guys you have to use at the right time in the right amount of minutes against the right matchups. And Doc just seems to randomly be like, okay, good good run in the first half, but you're not playing anymore. Uh, Trez gives you the offensive side of the ball. Um, I, I think it's weird how much sometimes we've run the offense through Montrez Harrell when he's on the floor, and Maxie's standing out there. And I mean, there was a, a game where we ran two Montrez Harrell isos in the post with Tyrese Maxey on the floor, and Tyrese had like 30 points at the time. I just couldn't believe it. And then I saw a, t- a Tobias Harris Montrez Harrell two man game, and I wanted to burn every Sixers piece of just merchandise and smash my TV. That was the most disgusting thing I've ever seen. Tyrese Maxey standing right there, and Tobias Harris and Montrez Harrell were running a two man game. Anyway, those two. You got to be creative if those are your only two backup centers. So, yeah, you didn't have a backup center. Daryl Morey drafts a guy who literally on his draft draft profile says, the most NBA-ready player in this draft. I remember watching him before we even drafted him. I didn't think he was going to fall to where we took him at. I thought he was a better player than that. Um we end up getting Charles Bassey, and I'm like, oh, that's the center I was talking about that was NBA ready, 6'10", 250, has game around the rim, has a hook shot, has a jump shot, has a Euro step. He did it. I mean, and defensively, he's a ball tracker. He's a good defender. He's a rebounder. It's insane to me that an NBA head coach who's supposed to be one of the smartest basketball minds in the world didn't see a backup center sitting right on his bench. It blows my mind. This is beyond anything else Doc Rivers has ever done. And I thought defending Ben Simmons was crazy. I thought I thought things that Brett Brown did was crazy. This Charles Bassey thing, people don't realize how insane this is. This is actually the craziest thing I've ever seen an NBA coach do. Because you glaringly don't have a backup center, and you have one. But you refuse to play him. I'm blown away by it. And then you know we we said it all off season. Uh, we I, I typed in uh, running back Philly romp right uh, today earlier today just because I wanted to see what we were saying on some older streams. And we had a stream that I titled Daryl Morey is forcing Doc Rivers to play Charles Bassey. <laughs> and then Doc said, a- "I'm not doing that. Give me experience." So Daryl bowed down to him, and went and signed Montrez Harrell. I'm, I'm blown away by the Charles Bassey thing. Anyway, we knew he had the potential. Us, we're just regular dudes. Basketball's not that complicated. That's what drives me nuts about professional sports. They do it in the NFL all the time. Every coach gets an ego, and they make it rocket science. It's not fucking rocket science, dude. It's a five-on-five game. There's a 6'10", 250-pound center on your bench. Put him in the goddamn game. That's it. It's not that hard. It's not. And people are in my comments all the time like, oh, you think you're so smart. Why aren't you an NBA coach? 
bro, it's, I just continue to be right. Like I continue, it's be, and it's not because I'm a genius. These are easy things. Everybody saw the Charles Bassey thing besides Doc Rivers. It absolutely blows my mind. But we were so right about it. Charles Bassey gets picked up by the coach that Doc Rivers thinks he is, Greg Popovich. And he, 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 he becomes the second player in NBA history to have 14 rebounds, four blocks, and four assists in less than 20 minutes and the first player in league history to do it off the bench. So that is like, that's not even a little bit. Doc Rivers wasn't even just like a little bit wrong. Ah, I kind of missed the Charles. I kind of missed the Charles Bassett. No, it's the epitome. You were 100% wrong. You were as off as you could possibly be about a player. That was my rant. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Going off of that, um, this is my problem with the Sixers organization. They just make such they look at what's going on around the league and they look at a player and they're like, Oh yeah, we, we should go get him." But they never ask themselves, let's just develop that. You know, they, they can't do that. It seems like shake Milton's been the same player for about seven years. Ferk's been the same player for about 10 years. Paul Reed's been the same player for four years. Um, the only players that really develop is like the superstar players that are going to going to develop a- anywhere because they they love the game of basketball and they just have the god given ability to do so. Like you, I'm telling you, I don't care how well De'Anthony Melton's playing. You don't give up a first round pick for a De'Anthony Melton type. He is an average player who can play both sides of the basketball, but he's undersized. And he's very inconsistent offensively. You don't give up a first round pick. You draft someone and you develop them. Not saying it was a bad move because we need that type of player, but I'm just saying like normal organizations don't do those moves. He wasn't a first round draft pick, was he? To the Memphis Grizzlies? Yeah, yeah. We gave up the first round pick. No, I mean, also, where did they draft him? I'm saying he's not a first round talent, is what you're saying. I think he was a second round pick or yeah. he was undrafted. Yeah, you know, no, I think you're exactly right. Those are players that teams draft late in drafts and develop into rotational players who can contribute. And the Sixers are so bad at developing anything that then they're then get they're 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 relying on other teams to get players late in drafts and develop them, and then we give up first round picks for those players. Yeah, I'm on the same page with you on that. Yeah, and then you don't go out. <laughs> you don't go out and sign a 30, 37 year old to be your dog and your engine to your team. You have Paul Reed, who, by the way, I'm about to have a crazy take. I think he should be starting. I think I truly, <laughs> I truly believe he should be starting next to Embiid because Embiid doesn't post up that close to the rim anymore. He likes to work at the mid post. Plus. No one accounts for how many transition opportunities um, Paul Reed has when he's on defensively. Plus, he would take the burden off of Joel Embiid defensively and offensively, where Joel can just sit in the short corner or wherever, and Paul Reed can be the screener for James Harden and Tyrese Maxey that possession. And defensively, Joel can just switch out to the perimeter rather than worry about um, having a rim protector. Because with Paul Reed and Joel on the floor, you can scheme it where Paul Reed's either going to be down low and then Joel's going to be up top. So he would help out the defense so much. You just got to make sure he's not being um, his silly Paul Reed self. 
But most times he's really not that foul guy. It's just every so often. And we rarely see him. So it's like, how could you expect anything else but inconsistencies from a guy who barely played? So I would start Paul Reed because it would help our rebounding. We're the worst rebounding team in the league. And you watch our offense. We put P.J. Tucker in the short corner anyway. You don't need a shooter in the short corner. Plus, you're playing Matisse Thibel. So why can't you play Paul Reed and Joel Embiid? I don't, I don't get it. When you're going to put P.J. Tucker in the short corner, you don't need a shooter there. Just put Paul Reed there and have him set screens, and he'll get better and better. It's like Robert Williams and Al Horf. Yeah, I mean, I can't disagree with you at all. Uh, I just think I laughed. Be- I laughed because, you know, asking Paul Reed to, I mean, asking a uh, Doc Rivers to put to start Paul Reed, um, and 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 having that take based on just a creative perspective of it, and looking at what he does well and how it could fit, and that's too much for Doc Rivers. That's like, you know, that's like asking your grandpa to get uh, a. Uh, a TikTok account, you know, it just ain't gonna happen. <laughs> That's like why our, I laugh. It's not gonna happen. It's Doc Rivers. Yeah, like our offense stalls out every time anyway. So why not have a guy who's gonna go a hundred ten percent on the offensive glass? Why not have a guy who's gonna get blocks and steals at an alarming rate? Like in the Knicks game, he created like probably ten points from just transition buckets because he got a block and a steal. It's like, why not have a guy out there? And if, if he gets in foul trouble, just go back to Tobias Harris or go back to P.J. Tucker because I'm, I mean, I don't care. Either P.J. or Tobias, they got to be out of the starting lineup. Well, because it, at the end of the day, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, for me, it's a countdown to firing Doc Rivers because it's just all the things we're talking about. It, it's like, I have to ignore the fact that it's Doc Rivers for us to even have the conversations about what we need to do to fix the team because it's not going to happen with Doc Rivers. But anyway, uh, Aaron, man, thanks for the support. Tyrese Halliburton so far this season, 20 points per game, 10 assists per game on 62.6 true shooting percentage. (laughs) James Harden so far this season, 22-10 on 59 true shooting percentage. James Harden is 33 years old. Halliburton is 22. Uh, Yeah. I like Tyrese Halliburton, but you know, you know what Daryl Morey was going for. Daryl Morey was going for James Harden can still be a superstar that can put a team on his back and give you forty-five when you really need it. This is what Daryl Morey was going by. I'm not saying he can do it. This is what Daryl Morey was thinking because I, it was the you know the personal relationship with James Harden may have come to bite us. Uh, we'll we'll find out in, in the next five six years when when it's all when the Harden thing in Philly is done. We'll find out if it was the right thing or not. But that's what Daryl Morey was going off of. That James Harden is a superstar, and you know, I remember him being interviewed. I think on the rights to Ricky Sanchez, or maybe I think it was on the rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast, or it was on ninety seven five The Fanatic. But he laughed. When when we were saying why didn't you trade Ben Simmons yet, and he was like, everybody wants me to trade him for you know just a bunch of random players, but and I think he was talking about guys like Tyrus Halliburton, like the Kings had a package, and he was like, come on, bro, like the young point guard from the Kings and Buddy Heald, and like he just, I just don't think he knows 
who you are unless you were a superstar for seven straight seasons. And I think Doc Rivers is even worse with knowing players. And I had a take talking about Doc and, and his defensive game planning because the second game against the Hawks, we defended Trey Young perfectly. But it's like we had to see the first game for Doc to know that. <laughs> like, How did you not already know you should have Matisse Thibel on the floor against the Hawks? Uh, but yeah, anyway, um, yeah, we'll see if it was, it was right, but yeah, I don't, I don't think Daryl Moore even hardly knew who Tyrese Halliburton was. And that's probably just me being an idiot and saying things on YouTube. I would like to assume Daryl Murray knows a lot about a lot of players in the NBA, but it seems like he didn't know who it was. Um, yeah, it's Daryl Moore. He's, it's, it's just like, we don't have enough basketball guys in the front office. And Elton Brand sucks. Who's a basketball guy? So I don't know. It's like why? Why are we signing Daniel House? Why are we signing James Harden players when we have a superstar in Joel Embiid? Like, there's no dribble handoff partner for Joel Embiid, and that's been the bread and butter of his career. Seth Curry is struggling without him in Brooklyn. Get get. Joel Embiid, a dribble handoff partner, or actually ru- run consistent dribble handoffs with Maxi and Embiid because it seems like their chemistry is getting better and better. But like that's my problem with Moore. He built the roster for 33-year-old James Harden, who come playoff time, teams aren't going to be doubling him because I still don't understand why teams double him. I would, if, if I'm game planning against the Sixers, I'm just switching everything and allowing James Harden to ISO. Like, you can have all the step-back threes you want. It's You're not getting the same foul calls as you used to. You're not getting the same separation on drives as you used to. Your mid-range game is cool, but it, it, it looks like you have to work so hard for your mid-range. I don't think you got it consistently to carry the Sixers throughout a whole game. So I'm like, just take away the passing lanes, stop doubling. And that's probably what the Bucks and the Raptors and the Celtics would do. Well, not the Raptors, because they play aggressive 24 seven for some odd reason. But yeah, I think it was the wrong trade. I'll stand by that. Um, but I understand it. I'm not going to kill Dale Morey for it. Um, but it's also just like James Harden, not adjusting his style whatsoever. It's like the dude talks about how he wants to win a championship. Same with Joel and B too, not just ranting on hard Harden. Like they talk about, they want to win a championship. They want to win this and they come into the season and Tyrese Maxey is just another guy, even though he's hitting 70% of his shots. Like, wouldn't, wouldn't it be smart to be like, oh, let's get Maxey the rock instead of making him Danny Green in the starting lineup? That's my problem with Harden and Embiid. Yeah, and uh, I think you brought this up before, too, that there's also no sharpshooter on this team. There's no Joe Harris. There's no Seth Curry. There's no... You know, George (laughs) Nia. That's why he plays. (laughs) Dude, I, I, oh my God. What, what? I got to look back at what kind of minutes Niang was getting for the Jazz. None. Because I feel like we do this a lot. We get players that were deep bench guys on, on the former team. I mean, Seth Curry's been on. Six different teams, seven, for a reason. And he came to Philly, and we used him like he was his brother. 
And it's just, it blows my mind because that's the truth is always going to come to light. When you try to lie about something, at the end of the day, the truth is going to come out. When you try to lie to the basketball gods and tell them Seth Curry's a 20-point-per-game player, eventually the truth is going to come out and you're going to run that dribble handoff with Seth Curry way too many times. Brett Brown tried to do it with J.J. Redick. And, it, and, it, and that you know people talk about the Kawhi shot and all the things that happened leading up to that. We lost that game because there was two J.J. Redick dribble handoffs 40 feet away from the basket with Joel Embiid outside the three-point line. That, that One was a turnover and one was a shot clock violation in crunch time. You ran, He ran J.J. Redick dribble handoffs till my mind was numb and it was it was it was it was it was lying to the basketball gods. That's what it was. Look what JJ Reddick can do. But when it came down to game seven in a playoff series, the truth came out. JJ Reddick can't do that. The last thing you want in a game seven is JJ Reddick dribbling a basketball forty feet away from the basket. The truth came out. So, you know, we don't we were using a George Niang like he's a sharpshooter or like he's even close to a Walmart Clay Thompson is what I call him. The truth will come out and it comes out all the time defensively. When he's on the floor too much, he gets exposed eventually. So that's just frustrating. But, you know, I like George Niang as a person and I think in spurts, he's a good NBA player and he plays hard. Uh, he's just the most least athletic guy I've ever seen in my life. And if you leave him on the floor too long, that's going to show it just is. Yeah, and you're playing him next to Tobias Harris, who's slow, and then James Harden, who's slow. Um, P.J. Tucker, who is slow, and Doc is on a path of killing P.J. Tucker. Got to say that again. Like It's crazy the minutes he's, he's riding P.J. Tucker. And the fact that... like The thing is, J.J. Redick has a clear, clear... like um, He's small, can't play defense. George Niang, small. Fat, slow. Like, we get players, Seth Curry, <laughs> slow, traffic cone on defense. We get these players who are great with Joel Embiid, but they don't supply anything besides, like, a nice shot here and there and spreading the floor. It's just like... And then you got Paul Reed, who's great defensively, but offensively, it's like, what do we do with him? Same with Matisse Thibel. He's amazing defensively, but offensively, he I, I think I could outshoot him. I'm not even kidding. I really <laughs> do believe. I think. I think so too. I, I think I could. I think. I mean, you, give me a week to get my legs under me, but a three point shootout with Matisse Thibel, I'm taking that. I'm 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 definitely taking that. Uh, Mister Eighty Nine, thanks for the super chat. This front office couldn't build a Jenga set, let alone a functioning NBA team. It's 2022, not 1962. It's nauseating and pedestrian. Uh, and somebody in the chat said we're being negative. Um, look, bro, it's it's year eight of Joel Embiid, and we're still trying to figure out what pieces go around him. You got to understand how frustrating that is. People have to understand that. I I don't want to roast you or assume anything about you, but to me, when people say that I'm being negative about this team, to me, I have to assume they just started rooting for this team three years ago. I have to. There's no way they went through the Allen Iverson era with me. I know you're younger than me. There's no way they went through the the mid-basketball until the tanking started and then went through the whole process and then went through the Ben Simmons debacle and the Markel Fultz debacle. And there's no way somebody went through all of that stuff and is happy with where we are seven years after the process. 
So yeah, yeah, it's just not positive because this is this team is frustrating every year. It is what I'm it is. Ready. I actually, I'm not lying to you at all. I had a lot more fun watching Sixers basketball games when I was watching Ish Smith throw alley oops to Nerlens Noel, and we lost by 30 every night, and we had no expectations whatsoever. Yeah, that's. I'm ready to rebuild. Like it's like I'm not going to hide that anymore. I really don't care if it's. Um, but am I back? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I really don't care if it's negative, but like, I, I don't see this team winning a championship, but hopefully I'm wrong. I would love, I would love to be wrong, but it's not going to happen because there's just too many question marks. James Harden and Joel Embiid this season, they've been at their best with each other off the court. That's not good. That is, that is not good. And when you have a coach with Doc Rivers where the ownership is not going to fire anyone, they're not going to fire Doc Rivers, obviously. There's already articles saying that. So we have the Doc Rivers aspect. And then we got Joel Embiid. Every now and again, he's very slow in terms of decision-making. So he allows the defense to affect him when they double-team him. Like Someone commented on my last video, oh, now you want to be a positive because you said... uh, uh co- Two days ago, you wanted to rebuild and trade Embiid. And I was saying, yeah, because he's he made quick decisions and he made them pay for doubling him. He didn't wait for the double team. He passed before the double team and then he got it back and then he could ISO. He doesn't do that consistently. And that's been our, you know, we've been mad at him for that for years and it just hasn't been really fixed. And that's really not his fault because he's a center and he does so many other things well. And the Sixers are asking him to do too much. And they also got into a point where they kind of built this player, Joel Embiid, where he, 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 all he knows is being Superman. When in reality, some games, all he has to do is focus up defensively and the other guys will take, take him to the promised land. Like you saw that in the second half against the Jazz. He had seven blocks. You're telling me he's not capable of having more four block halves. You're telling me he's not, he had four rebounds in the first half. Just focus on the little things more, but the Sixers have created Joel Embiid where all he knows is he's got to score 35 points. He doesn't realize that getting rebounds and getting a 15 rebound game or a 20 rebound game. Where's that from Joel Embiid? This dude is 280 pounds, seven plus footer. And we rarely see that. He doesn't realize that because the Sixers built him to just be carry us for 40 points and try to make us win. It's the same with James Harden. He doesn't know how to play off ball. He doesn't know how to play in a team system. So we're pretty much screwed. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Speaking of being pretty much screwed. So um, you say they're not going to fire Doc Rivers. It it would. So I've said this before. It would have to be a money. The money. The money, the money declining would have to be very glaring, uh, you know, because that's all Josh Harris is looking at. He's not a basketball guy. Did you ever see the guy? Like, come on, bro. He doesn't know anything about basketball. He he had a lot of money, and he said, "How can I make this into more money?" And they said, "Hey, bro, uh, there's this really bad basketball team that you can buy for five hundred million right now, and you don't even have to make them good; just make them hopeful." And you could turn that five hundred million into three billion, and he did that. Sam Hinkie died for it, sacrificed himself. Uh, they get Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid breaks his foot. 
two years. You wait for him. He's like a mythical creature. He finally comes out. It's like the Loch Ness Monster. And the fan base is hopeful. Finally, for the first time since 1973, we're going to have two superstars on the basketball team. So all of that hope drove the ticket prices to the ceiling, drove the jersey sales to the ceiling, drove everything up. You don't have to win to profit off of a basketball team. So he made the profit. You know, he would have to see a major decline in the numbers for him to be like, oh, something has to change here. And it'll happen over time, but it's not going to happen as fast as we want it to happen. People are very not excited about this team. It's late, and I've had a long day. I'm lacking, like, vocabulary. Very not excited. That's my words today. People are very not excited about this team. Uh, They they had us excited this offseason. And they came out looking like they looked, and I posted I posted a question on Twitter, a poll on Twitter, or whatever I said. I said, has the general Philadelphia fan base lost interest in the Sixers so far this season with how they started the season? And all of the answers were yes, and I get a lot of people every day that are like, I'm not watching the this team again until Doc Rivers is gone. This is redundant. It's plateaued. It's not going anywhere. And people feel that energy. There's nothing, they're not the general basketball fan or the general Philly sports fan who can choose, you know, we're hardcore basketball people. We're going to watch it no matter what. But the general Philly sports fan who can choose Flyers, Sixers, Eagles, uh, reminisce on the Phillies making a great run, and maybe I'll just watch baseball highlights until next year. Like, they don't have to watch Sixers games. And if they're not excited about it, they're not going to watch it. There's a lot of people that aren't excited about it already. And that'll eventually show in the numbers if this keeps happening. I would like for it to be soon, but uh, yeah, I fear that it's not going to be soon enough, and we're going to go a whole other season where we kind of know this isn't really going anywhere until something major changes. Uh, but you know, the fan base has to like, we got to keep the pressure out there, man. We got to keep it trending on Twitter every time they lose a, a bad game, and it's clearly on the stubbornness of this coach and the rotations and players don't develop, and on and on and on, and we get. Fire Doc Rivers trending on Twitter. Not that Josh Harris watches Twitter, but just the general like voice of the fan base. They booed Doc Rivers when they introduced him. That's a good thing. That's a great start. You have to find a way to make it publicly known that he needs to be out of here. We can say anything we want on Twitter and YouTube. These guys aren't watching Twitter and YouTube. I think eventually we're going to make it publicly known, but it's not going to be as soon as we want it to be. Yeah, I mean, I I already do that. If if I am trying to eat cereal and I look in the fridge, there's no milk. I'm blaming Doc Rivers. I get hit. <laughs> I'm blaming Doc Rivers in everything I do. That's where I am with this with this um coach. Plus, I mean, I don't blame fans for being like bored of the team because a lot of time this year, I mean, there's just not a lot of fun with this team. They're all like short, under six five pretty fat and thick. It's like, we're still playing George Niang 25 minutes and we got Embiid averaging 32 points a game. What are we doing here? And we're playing him at center in the in the end of the third quarters, man. Crunch time in a basketball game. You got a guy that can't jump over a pencil trying to guard the rim. Yeah. I, I, just, I just got, I've been playing a, I've been playing a lot of Call of Duty Modern Warfare too, man. And, you know, every time there's a camper in the corner with a sniper just picking me off, I'm just every time I'm like fucking Doc Rivers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
and it, and people are like, why are you saying trade Embiid? And then I'm like, that's the only asset that's going to get us back on the map. Like you saw what they got for Rudy Gobert. And um, I'm not saying at the trade deadline, I'm saying if we lose in the second round again, or we don't, we were in the play in tournament, something crazy happens. Like I'm, I'm done after this year. If we fail, I'm done. Like we got to rebuild. That's where I'm at. Cause I'm sick of doing the same thing. And if he gets injured again, I'm definitely done. It's like, it's that simple. I don't, I don't get how that's naked. That's just being facts. Being, well, you know, it, well, I, I've had my fair share of rants on, on people that just don't want to hear the cold, hard truth about sports. They want to, you know, they, they, they have the, the t-shirts and the posters and, and the, and the pom-poms and they just want, you know, if you're not, if you're not, yay, yay, go Sixers, they think you're negative and you're not a real fan and you need to go root for somebody else and on and on and on. But, um, it's really just us watching the game and telling it, saying what we, what we think we see, you know, if you agree with it, cool. If you don't go watch something else, it doesn't matter. Uh, but yeah, that's a, that's a good take. Um, because it's getting to the point where you have to, you, it's, it's in the near future. That decision, that would be a major decision, a major franchise decision. That would be a top three decision in the history of the franchise. Um, do you trade Joel Embiid? And so it's not going to, yeah, I wouldn't say this season, but I I also, I don't even think you're going to have to worry about the Sixers making that decision. Because if they lose again in the second round, I think Joel Embiid's going to be the one that says, "You know what? I'm about to be 29. This, 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 this eight years went by like the snap of my finger. I know the next eight years is going to go by like the snap of my finger, and I don't want to end my entire career with nothing. I don't want to end this. Okay, I was in Philly the whole time, trying and hoping they put the right pieces around me and." That's all I did, and you know I was great. I I have historic numbers. I have stat lines that nobody's ever put up before. But does he want to be next to Wilt Chamberlain, Moses Malone, and, and and these other guys? You have to have the rings. You have, and he wants to win. That's why he's as good as he is. That's why every player's dream is to get to the NBA Finals and win a championship. Because the whole reason they started playing sports in general is because they have a competitive fire inside them. So just because you get to the NBA, aside from Ben Simmons, just because you get to the NBA doesn't mean you're content and you don't care anymore. They just want to win every day. That's why they're playing the sport in the first place. So yeah, if you go eight years, you're not winning. I mean, look at Kevin Durant right now. He won with the Warriors, but he knows it was a fake ring. He was never happy about it. He's out here making fake Twitter accounts, defending himself. He doesn't feel good about that fake ring. I know he doesn't. He's, he wants to win probably worse now than he did was he, than when he was in OKC because he wants to prove to people that, that, that he can really do it, not just hopping on the backs of a, of a championship-level team already. Um, so, yeah, I think Joel Embiid, eight years in Philly, would be like, listen, I want out. I gave you guys eight years. I gave it everything I had. I gave it everything I had. Yeah, I wasn't healthy the whole time. Yeah, these injuries pop up here and there, but you can't say I didn't give it everything I had. Yeah, sometimes some seasons I, you know, roller skated around the first 10 games and like danced and like, you know, did some Fortnite dances on the court or whatever I was doing instead of getting rebounds and playing defense. But like for the most part, I gave it everything I had. I put up historic stat lines. I was one of the greatest centers 
one of the greatest players to ever put on a Sixers jersey, one of the greatest centers to ever play basketball in the NBA. You got to trade me now because I gave you enough time. So I'm out. And I think if it happens this season, if it happens this season, Joel's going to say, listen, give you got to give me, an, you know, because he's going to get to the point, and I think he got to this point this past offseason, where he has demands. You know what I mean? You have to show me this for me to want to stay here. So you got to show me this. If if it happens again, he's going to say, listen, you got to give me a new coach, a new energy, and you got to show me what your plan is for me to, or, or just get rid of me because I'm done with this. I seriously think Joel Embiid would be the one if that happens again, if we lose again in the second round, I think Joel will be the one that forces a trade. Yeah. Uh, there's still a chance where um, he can go nuclear and get really hot come playoff time, kind of like the Phillies did. So there's still that chance, but I'm at the point where I'm not believing in this team till I see it because it's been year after year. Like I'm not getting my hopes up at all. They can win as many regular season games as they want to win. And by the way, they're probably going to go on a winning streak because MB's playing very well and he can dominate like that. And Maxi hasn't even been playing well. So if he starts playing well next to Embiid, they can beat the Bucks one game. They can they can go on a little win streak. But once again, unless like there's an offensive system change. And things like that, I doubt I'm going to jump back on the Sixers bandwagon and be like, oh, yeah, this team's going to – they're beating the Bucks and the, the Celtics. I doubt it. I, I'm at the point where I have to see them literally win the second round and then win the next round before I believe in this team. Yeah, like I said, this Friday is going to tell us a lot. Uh, but of course, you're without James Harden, so that that'll always be, you know. Well, we don't have James back. We don't have James back. Um, yeah, they'll win. Definitely, they they will win. Anytime I think they're going to lose, they win. Anytime I think they're going to win, they lose. Oh yeah, I wanted to say, uh, you know, you said he could go nuclear in the playoffs. Look at that Jazz game. He dropped a, a stat line that has not been done before, and they won by what? Five points? So, against really strong playoff teams, Joel Embiid could could have a 60-point, 12-rebound, 10-assist, 9 blocks, and still lose. You were, yeah. You didn't get anything from anyone else. So... You know, it was a cool performance, but in the back of my mind, I was like, I, I was admiring them, but it was fun to watch. Trust me, I'm, I'm, I love watching, you know, just insane athletic, historically athletic performances. But I was also like, this ain't sustainable. <laughs> we need, we need something else moving forward. You know, Joel can't drop 59 every game. So yeah, we'll see, man. We'll see. Uh, but yeah, Romp, thanks for coming through, man. Thanks for giving me your perspective on everything. I appreciate it, of course. Keep killing it, keep killing it over on the YouTube channel, Sixers Talk with Romp. The play breakdowns are awesome. The the takes are awesome. The uh yeah, check out Romp, subscribe if you're not subscribed already. Uh this will also be up on Apple Podcasts and every other podcast platform tomorrow. Thank you to Merkel Media Mastered and Crystal Clear Audio. Um, so check it out on Apple Podcasts and leave a five star review. And Rob, you got anything else? Oh, thanks for having me. It was a good time. Um an honest conversation, some wild takes. I didn't hear anything good- wild. I didn't hear anything wild. I heard nothing but the truth. <laughs> Rob, I'm never I'm never doubting you again, man. 
You, like, you, we signed Montrez. I was so excited watching his highlights, and that's my problem. I watch highlights. And you said, bro, you have no idea what you're talking about. You didn't tell me that, but you were thinking that in your head. And you were like, you don't understand what happened in the in the in the playoffs with Doc Rivers and Montrez Harrell against the Nuggets and the Clippers. This is a terrible signing. And you were right about that. Every time you seem overly negative, it's because people want to be happy about something. They don't want to hear your negativity, but you keep you just keep end up being right. So I gotta credit you, man. The truth is what it is. People like it. They like it. If they don't want to hear it, they can Guys, I, I hate hardened fans. I'll tell you that. I hate Harden fans. <laughs> like, so, like, what do you mean Harden fan? Like stands? Like, like, just, like Harden's their like Harden's their profile picture on Twitter, and it's like Harden three two one or some shit. Yeah, like I, I was critical on Embiid for like the first two weeks, and I didn't see any Embiid fans in my comment section saying outlandish stuff and coming at me personally. I attack Harden every now and again. They just go ham. And it's like, dude, your favorite player still is playing the same brand of basketball that has not gotten over the hump. And I'm like, he has to change. And you don't even realize that. And they're they're just a culty fan base. (laughs) Like, dude, chill. I'm critical of every player. But the only player fan base that comes at me crazy is the Harden stands. They remind me of the Ben Simmons stands, honestly. Well, you gotta just you gotta just stand in the fire, man. You gotta stand in the fire. It's what you have to do. Uh, I learned the hard way in the in the three years that I ranted about Ben Simmons. So many people wanted to burn my house down because their favorite player that their mom got them a jersey of for Christmas was getting ripped to shreds by some random guy on YouTube. They were so mad at me for it. I was and, and I had people saying, you know. You yell and scream and all this stuff to milk views on YouTube. Um, And I was like, bro, I wish that was the case. Do you actually think this is an act? I wish I was acting. I'm actually angry. This is real anger. Uh, But yeah, you know, I, I did that. They came at me every single day. And I just learned, especially when it comes to, and I'm just going to keep it a buck here, especially when it comes to YouTube and podcasting and whatever else. A view is a view is a view is a view is a view and a click is a click and a comment is a comment. So thank you for the view. Thank you for the comment. Thank you for helping the algorithm. If you hate my guts so much, you keep clicking on it. You keep commenting on it. You're just helping me. So that's how I see it. I put out that Tyler Heineke clip after the Eagles game and I it was titled Tyler Taylor Heineke wins an NFL game the softest way possible. Because he, fl- I mean, there's flopping in football now. Like you can, you can last second take a knee. A guy two hand touches you, and you throw your arms up and fall on your back and get a personal foul penalty to end the game. And I knew what the comments were going to look like, and I read a couple of them, and then I just stopped reading them because, thanks for the view, thanks for the comment, and these were like Washington fans anyway. That's not like they're going to watch my videos anyway. Why do I care what they think? So you know, I didn't take it too seriously. You just gotta, and you do that already. You say what you think. You're not afraid to say what you think. And that's like, that's what has gotten you to the point you're at on YouTube already. And that's, what's going to continue to get you there. And any successful person will continue to say that they all say the same thing, bro. If you're honest with yourself and you ignore all the haters, people just try to stop you from, from, I don't know what it is. People see it and they're like, no, this guy thinks he's going to do something. I'm going to, 
I'm going to tell him he has no idea what he's talking about. Type, 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 type. Just keep doing it, man. Keep doing exactly what you're doing. Keeping it real. Mm. That was inspirational. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't let that. You, you, you got to be tough. When I started a YouTube channel, I had a YouTuber tell me, I hope you have tough skin. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, these people are going to rip you to shreds. doesn't matter what you're talking about. It doesn't matter if you're doing iPhone reviews. It doesn't matter what you're doing. There's going to be people in the comments saying, you are the dumbest person alive. Please jump off a bridge. You're the worst YouTuber on the planet. It's insane. Yeah, you got to have thick skin for it, man. And you got to be able to just give your opinion. And I don't know. Don't read the comments. <laughs> I, I don't even disagree with sometimes they say I'm the dumbest person alive. Because I'd be saying some stuff. <laughs> oh, I was like... <laughs> It's like, I don't think I'm always right. It comes across like that because I'm confident with the way I talk, but like, I'm willing to say I'm wrong. Like I was wrong about the PJ Tucker signing. Unfortunately, that dude looks washed. <laughs> I think it's still system, man. I see a lot of fight in him at 37 years old. I still think he has everything that he had in Miami. I think that's all system. But anyway, yeah. Thanks Ron, for coming. We'll do this again. Of course, the people love when Eastwood and Rob get together. We keep trying to get Greg Melly on the horn. This guy's like working eight days a week, every night. He's never available. Whatever, Greg. Cool. You have better things to do. I get it. Uh, but yeah, man, I'll keep in contact. Thank you. And uh, thank you to everyone here. Hit the like button. You know the deal. Subscribe. Follow us on social media. All that stuff. Later. Quit testing me. Don't make me lose my mind. Don't make me lose my mind. Don't make me lose my mind. Test me, test me, test me, test me.